Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, it's a pleasure to introduce our guest speaker with us this morning. Graham Innes is he is a company director, he's a lawyer, and he's a public speaker. He's been in human rights as a practitioner for 30 years. Uh, from 2005 through to 2014, he was Australia's Disability Commissioner, and during that time, he was also concurrently Australia's Human Rights Commissioner and Race Commissioner as well. In '95, he was admitted uh, as a member of the Order of Australia. In 2003, he was a finalist for Australian of the Year, uh, I, found, I just found out this week, 2015, he got awarded an honorary doctorate. So I should be calling him Dr. Graham Innes this morning. I've been so disrespectful, Graham, <laughs> uh, to the University of Canberra. And uh, he is, 2016 has been the release of his new book, Finding a Way, which is for sale out in the foyer if you haven't seen already. But I think the most important date was around 2011-ish in which uh, Graham and his wife Maureen uh, became part of the Northside family. And so he's been at Northside here ever since. And it is a great pleasure to welcome you this morning, Graham, to share with us. My brother Brian and I had just bought our first car. We had the perfect, perfect combination. I was 22 and I'd saved a little money. And he was a bit younger, four years younger, and he just got his licence and he was desperate to use it. So I paid for the car. I made sure he paid me half the money back later. And he drove. It was a blue Chrysler Galant. Five years old with a few miles, and yes, they were miles back then, on the clock. But we thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. We never missed an opportunity to take it for a spin. I'd been asked by a social club in Wollongong to give a presentation to their afternoon meeting on people with disabilities. So Brian and I decided to drive. For him, four or five hours on the road behind the wheel of our little beauty was worth the tedium of listening to one of my presentations. <laughs> I spoke about the importance of including people with disabilities in all aspects of society. And I encouraged people to focus on the person, not the disability, and to ask if assistance was needed rather than making assumptions about what we couldn't do. And during question time, I commented how critical it was to talk to the person themselves rather than to talk about them or to talk to someone who was with them. At the end of that meeting, we were invited to afternoon tea and we were happy to partake of the excellent cakes and biscuits on offer. You know, two young guys. We knew we had a bit more time on the road. A good feed was fantastic. And one of our hosts approached me and said to Brian, who was standing right next to me, would Graham prefer tea or coffee? And I winced in disappointment, given the point of my presentation. However, coffee was Brian's calm reply. Does he take milk, she asked. Yes, he does, Brian said. And what about sugar, she continued. Two sugars, please, was his calm response. In contrast, my temperature was rising. Steam was beginning to trickle from my ears and I was planning the tongue lashing he would receive during the drive home. His actions, I thought, had completely undermined my presentation. 
By the way, Brian said with a wry smile as our host was about to leave with the coffee order, would you like me to drink it for him as well? (laughs) Suitably chastened, chastened, she apologised to me and my recompense was an extra cup of coffee and an extra lamington. It was pretty good lamington too. She'd worked out the way to my heart. Well, good morning. Oh, there's hardly anyone here. Let's try that again. Good morning. What a privilege it is for me to speak from this platform from which um, so much of God's wisdom has been received by me throughout the last few years. And I pray that I'll um, impart some of his wisdom to you today. Now, I like to engage people when I'm speaking. And so in order to do that, I have to admit one behavioural fault. It's the one that I'm prepared to admit. Maureen will tell you about the others later if you ask them the right way. Um, If you put your hand up when I ask you a question, I'll completely ignore you. And uh, thanks, Michael, for your apology. But can I say I was the only one who didn't mind that the screen wasn't working this morning. (laughs) So, um, So use your voices, okay? Now, why have I told this story about my brother? Well, first, it's a car story, right? Sam tells car stories. I've heard a bunch of them. Emily talked about her car in her first sermon. So I tell a car story, right? I've cracked the Northside formula. (laughs) All I need now, all I need now is a set of movie references and I'm home and hosed. (laughs) Secondly, I've told this story because it's from my autobiography, Finding a Way, which, just in case you didn't notice the huge banner in the the foyer, um, is on sale today. Um, Is there anyone who didn't notice the banner? Okay, excellent. My, um, my book launched, launched earlier, earlier this week and $5 from each of the books sold here today will go back to Northside, my spiritual home. And I'm happy to sign them for you as well, so uh, take the opportunity. All right, end of shameless self-promotion. <laughs> but my third and real reason for telling this story is that I want to talk with you today about some issues from my life including my faith journey. And this seemed a good way to start. And I also want to talk with you about some social justice issues which have been a major focus in my life. And Sam tells me that uh, this segues very nicely into his next series about social justice. So God's kicking goals here at Northside as usual. I grew up in a Christian family. My mum and dad were regular churchgoers, and Dad was a church warden at Holy Trinity Church of England in Dulwich Hill here in Sydney. I went to Sunday school there. I have to say, I never had a birthday party at Sunday school. <laughs> and I attended church with my, uh, uh, with my uh, family, my brother and sister and my mum. My dad used to uh, let him help count the collection each week. That was one of his jobs as, as church warden. He counted the notes, which I couldn't identify quite as quickly, and I counted the, t- the coins. Many's the time that I picked out a foreign coin, often New Zealand money. Yes, it's an old Kiwi trick. Um, 
any New Zealanders here? Whoops. Um, we used to collect them and uh, send them off to do God's work over in New Zealand. So it was okay. My family were brought up to follow Christian values and ethics. And we realised that as advantaged members of Australian society, um, we should support and care about those who had greater needs than we did. So we worked as a family to support church activities, charitable activities, um, and the work which my dad did as chief executive of the Masonic Hospital in Ashfield. I've also received a lot of support during my life from my parents and my family who brought me up as one of three siblings, not as the special child with a disability. And I use the term special with all the negative connotations that it has in the disability sector. I got support from the couple who won a major prize in the Opera House Lottery and bought me my first Perkins Braille machine. I got support from the friend of Dad's who was a member of Parliament and who was also blind, who um, showed me that I didn't have to be limited in what I wanted to achieve. And I got support from the teachers at my schools who worked hard to ensure that I had a positive learning experience. And from the many volunteers who spent hundreds of hours transcribing law books into Braille and reading them onto reel-to-reel tapes. Yes, does anyone remember reel-to-reel tapes? <laughs> yeah. And this was so, of course, that I could success- successfully complete my law degree. And I wanted to honour their contribution to me and their support of me by ensuring that I made a contribution to the lives of others. So I've used my skills for social justice, advocating for the rights of people with disabilities, people who are same-sex attracted, people who are culturally and linguistically diverse, etc., etc. That's how I've tried to live my life. But, and there's often a but for young people growing up as Christians, I wasn't like Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. Who's seen that movie? Yeah, okay. Well, you know what I mean. I didn't like to be the unusual one who went to church and talked about God. I was just like all of those other Vikings who thought dragons should be killed, not made friends with. So whilst I had the moral compass set pretty much on course, if I can use a sailing analogy, it was set to walk along a parallel path to the path of righteousness, to the path with God, rather than hand in hand with or in step with God. I espoused Christian values and ethics, but I didn't have that hotline to God and have him walking my journey with me. And you know, that's how I spent maybe 30 years of my life. Now, I'd got it sorted, right? I was married to the amazing Maureen. We'd raised Leon and, and were raising Rachel successfully. I had a great career, which I loved, and I was well uh, recognised for my work. I was living the dream. I didn't need God, so I thought anyway. I was working hard and I was very driven. And I had a moment, moment similar to that of King David, which we heard about last week. Now, I didn't commit the sin that he did, but I did something which put our marriage 
and my whole family under great strain. And I'm not going to try and justify it, Sam. I'm owning it. And unlike most other issues in my life and career, I didn't know how to fix this one. Leon had by then met his wife, Rachel. You know, many of you will remember Leon and Rachel. Poor Leon, he was shocked when I told him that uh, it was most inconvenient of him to marry someone with the same name as his sister, Um, at least until he realised that I was joking. And uh, Leon and Rachel attended Northside. Maureen had been several times uh, following my David moment. And I asked her if I could come with her. We attended the Search for Life course together and it was here at Northside that I realised that I needed that support that a closer walk with God could bring. So here I am, talking to my Northside family. I restarted my journey with God, which has been a revelation to me in the true sense of that word. And just like you do when you play a country and western song backwards... I got my wife back, I got my family back. Oh, I didn't get my truck back, but you know. <laughs> Externally, you know, my life hasn't changed that much. I still do the stuff that I do. But internally, it's a very different life. I still campaign for social justice. And the story about my brother, which I told at the start, is a situation that I experience regularly in my life. The woman had switched on my Harry Potter invisibility cloak and she walked up to Brian and me and talked to Brian. You know, it happens in shops. I walk up to the counter with Maureen or Rachel, tell the sales assistant what I want to purchase and they immediately start talking to the person who's with me. Quite often, um, they will hand my goods or my change to that person despite me standing there with my hand out and despite the fact that I've given them the money. It happens in restaurants when the only advantage of my invisibility cloak really is that the bill usually gets delivered to the person that I'm with. (laughs) Although Maureen often quickly hands it back to me. So It happens on aeroplanes. On one memorable occasion... Maureen was scolded, not me, by a flight attendant for letting me, letting me use the business rather than the economy class toilet. And it happens to people with other disabilities as well. People who use wheelchairs often find themselves being discussed in their presence as if they were a package or simply not there. Many's the time that I've heard airline passengers Uh, who use mobility devices, referred to in their presence and over the radio as a wheelchair. You know, I'm told that this invisibility cloak is also worn by women of a certain age who can stand in shops for a long, long time waiting for attention while men and younger women are served. And you know what? I wouldn't mind having an invisibility cloak if I could switch the damn thing on and off myself. I mean, it'd be pretty useful when I wanted to uh, walk between my family and the television screen Um, or to walk across to the bar or the dining table for that second cake or third beer. But I've lost the remote control. 
It's attached to the cloak somehow, but it always seems to fall into the hands of the person with whom I'm seeking to deal rather than into my hands. Why does this happen to people with disabilities? We're not any more difficult to talk with than the rest of society once you get started. In fact, some of us are quite engaging people. It's really a demonstration of the way people with disabilities are still viewed by society. We are limited by the soft bigotry of low expectations. And many people with disabilities can't rise above that bar. We want to be included and we want to fully participate in society, but society won't let us. And that's why today's uh, lesson... And I got tricked, Sam, because I thought there was going to be a reading today. But that's okay, because I'll, I'll talk about it. That's why today's lesson is such a powerful one for me and the work that I do. Just five verses out of Matthew. But they're pretty complex, and they include a miracle. So let me summarize that story that's in Matthew. Jesus and his disciples were on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Pretty busy road. And it was the last trip that he would make before he established his kingdom. And he was on that very important journey. But he stopped when he was hailed by two blind beggars. The disciples thought that in Blues Brothers terms, Jesus was on a mission from God, which of course he was. But... They didn't want him to stop. But when he heard these two men calling out to him, he chose to take time out. And good on them. They kept calling out despite the crowd telling them not to interrupt Jesus and to be quiet. The force was strong in those two. <laughs> Sam's just ticked my fourth movie reference. <laughs> and the first thing that Jesus did when he stopped was asked what they wanted. He didn't ask their brothers or assume that he knew what they wanted. He actually asked them. He didn't, as many people do in our society, assume that he knew what was best for them. He didn't put on their invisibility cloak. He empowered them and he gave them the decision. And that is a lesson for all of us. And that is a sermon just in itself. Thank you, Jesus. What do you want of me? He said. He asked that question. They chose to have their sight restored. Not surprisingly, given their circumstances and the times. And he gave it to them. He did that. He carried out that miracle. He didn't ask them for their faith in him. He didn't ask for anything in return. He just gave it to them. And, why we're not surprised... They followed him anyway. That was one of his miracles. A large miracle for those two men. Now, we here at Northside can't perform miracles, can we? I mean, Jesus does that. But all of you can perform small miracles. At least, from the perspective of people with disabilities, you can. Because treating people with just with disabilities just like everyone else, not limiting us with assumptions, not deciding what we can or can't do, 
or just not talking to us at all excludes us. And changing that approach for us is a small miracle. So you can perform those small miracles. You know, the broader community, consciously or unconsciously, works to exclude people with disabilities. Barriers are constantly erected to keep us out. The print document you hand me as I walk into a function keeps me out. The set of stairs you put between a person in a wheelchair and her destination keeps her out. The complex wording of a sign, which some people with intellectual disabilities can't follow, keeps them out. And the lack of flexible working hours, which mean that some people with mental illness can't do their job, keeps them out. And the attitude barrier, where you exclude us with that soft bigotry of low expectations, keeps us out. So, what do these small miracles look like? Because you know what? Exclusion is everyone's responsibility. As David Morrison said, in regard to the Australian Defence Forces, the standards you walk past are the standards you accept. Well, these small miracles don't look like disempowering people by reinforcing their marginalisation. They're not accepting that there's nothing we can do if a person can't get a job because of their disability. They're not expecting that everyone will behave in the same way because you can hear a person asking a question in a noisy restaurant. Don't get cranky with a person who asks you to um, look at them or look in your direction when they're speaking to you because they may have a hearing impairment. We can do small miracles by just including people with disabilities in everything we do, just as we include everyone else. Following the lesson of my brother, and just like Jesus did with those two blind beggars, ask us what we want, just as you would ask anyone else. Respond positively to the answer that you're given. Don't assume that you know best anyway and ignore it. And don't expect faith in return. And if you can perform small miracles, just like Jesus performed a large one, you'll contribute to improving the lives of 20% of Australians with disabilities. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the start that my parents gave me with you. And though I moved away from you, thanks for using my own sin to bring me back to you. Thanks for the chance to share some of my story with Northsiders today. Thanks for this wonderful church of yours at Northside and the way that you, through it, empower us to live Christian lives in the broader community. And thanks for the large miracles that your son performed. Help us to emulate those through small miracles and thus improve the lives of Australians with disabilities. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.